to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. This subject of capital punishment, of course, is still a subject that is debated today. And there are those who believe that it's a a valid means of dealing with crime. There, of course, are many who completely reject that as something that's barbaric and something that's cruel and unusual. But this is the rule that God himself put up. And the reason for it is interesting. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis chapters 7 through 9 in a message titled, The Flood. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Now, we were told as we read through those portions of Scripture that the ark, when it did finally rest, it rested on the mountains of Ararat. Now, Mount Ararat is in the area of Armenia. And even in the past several decades, there have been numbers of expeditions, men that have sought to find this ark. Stories of the ark still located in that region have been reported from ancient times right down to today. Now, whether or not the ark will ever be discovered, whether it is still there intact, we don't know for sure. I think that the possibility is pretty high that it is still there. And I think it would be a great idea for God to let it be discovered. Now, I don't know what he thinks, (laughs) but if I were God, I would... I would let it be found. But wouldn't that be an absolute mind blower to find this giant, well, it wasn't really a ship. It was more just a a giant box, really. But to find this thing at about 450 feet in length and 75 feet wide, and maybe it is, as some have uh, suspected, and and, there have been some aerial photographs taken that it might be encased in ice still in that very place, in that very region. I mean, that would be just fascinating for that kind of a discovery to be made. I don't know if it ever will, but again, I think it would be a great idea. But as we come through the story, picking up in verse 20 of the eighth chapter, as Noah and his family have come out of the ark together, we read that Noah built an altar to the Lord and he took of every clean animal and every clean bird and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. You know, we'd have to use our imagination. I don't even know. I mean, some have a better imagination than others. I I just can't imagine what it would have been like. 
Now, we talked before about the numbers of people that were on the earth at the time. And conservative, very, very extremely conservative estimates put it in the millions. Less conservative, but still conservative estimates put it in the billions. But it, it seems unimaginable to, to think of just one man and his family, his wife, his three sons and their wives, that they alone, along with the animals, that they are put in this, this ark. They are sealed in this ark by God, and they are preserved through this greatest of all uh, catastrophic, catastrophic events. It's just, you know, it's an inconceivable thing. But you can imagine... I think to some degree how Noah would have just been so thankful and so deeply and profoundly moved and and sobered so seriously as he finally came out of that judgment, came through that judgment a year and a month it took for the whole thing to transpire. And the first thing that Noah does when he comes forth from the ark is he offers offerings on an altar to the Lord. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, this is interesting to me, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of his heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. You know, you would think it would be almost the opposite. Because man's imagination is only evil from his youth, you would think that God would say, I'm I'm going to judge him again. I'm going to destroy him again. But in this statement, you, you get a sense of God's compassion even for, for man in his sin and in his wickedness. You, you, there's a sense of, There's a sense of mercy in what God's describing here. Even though the imagination of man's heart is evil, continually evil from his youth, in a sense, God is saying, I'm going to have mercy. I'm I'm going to withhold judgment. And then he says, while the earth remains, indicating that the earth will not always remain, but while it remains, there will be seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, Day and night shall not cease. And here we are, and it's just as God said. Seed time and harvest remain with us, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night, just as God declared. So God, verse 1 of chapter 9, so God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, here in the ninth chapter, we'll go through it quickly, a whole new world is beginning. And so God here is going to give Noah some instruction for this new world. Things are going to be different now than they were before the flood. And God's going to set up some new guidelines, some some new standards, and he's, in a sense, he's sort of implementing now a governmental system by which man is to be ruled. And so the first command is 
for Noah and his sons to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. So now here's a change. Here's a change in diet. Prior to the flood, man was a vegetarian. Man's diet consisted of the vegetables and the fruits and the herbs and so forth. But now, God says, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. So here God lays down the rule in society of capital punishment. From the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Why? For in the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Now, this subject of capital punishment, of course, is still a subject that is debated today. And there are those who believe that it's a a valid means of dealing with crime. And there, of course, are many who completely reject that as something that's barbaric and something that's cruel and unusual. But this is the rule that God himself put up. And the reason for it is interesting to me. The reason is because man is God's creature and he's made in the image of God and no man has the right to take the life of another man who is made by God and in his image. So if a person does that, if a person murders another person and and here God is laying this foundation for this new world that's going to develop, But this same command, of course, was carried over into the Mosaic law, and it's also reiterated and supported in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul speaks of the existing authorities, the powers that be, the governmental authorities, and he tells us that those authorities are appointed by God and that they are appointed specifically to deal with the the issue of evil. And, And Paul says regarding them, they do not bear the sword in vain. And of course, the sword was the means of bringing about capital punishment. So the New Testament gives support to the idea that the state would have not only the right, but even the responsibility to deal with those who committed murder. In the book of Numbers, I think it's about um, the 35th chapter, God speaks about 
the, the whole idea of the land becoming polluted through the shedding of innocent blood. And God says that a land cannot be cleansed of the pollution except by the shedding of the blood of those who shed the innocent blood. Where there's a lot of innocent blood that has polluted this land. And there are a lot of men in prison on death row who have murdered people and who will never probably be executed. They'll probably just live out their lives going through, you know, one appeal after another. And... But, you know, all of these things are being taken into account by God. And, of course, one day, regardless of what the state does or doesn't do, God is going to mete out judgment himself. But this... this uh, law that was instituted way back at this time, as far as God is concerned, is still in effect in, in the present day. And so God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, and as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. So do you realize that when you look up in the sky on a cloudy, rainy day after the rain has begun to subside and you see that bow? Isn't that astounding that, that that's God's sign of his covenant you know, going back to what we were talking about initially, there's, there's no evidence that there, was never a, that there was ever a flood. Well, God says that the rainbow is a reminder that there was a flood and a promise that there will never be a flood again to destroy all life. Kind of a built-in witnessing tool. You know, you see, you're with somebody and you see a rainbow say, hey, check that out. You know what that means? Oh, yes, of course, that's the prisms, you know, the water spots and the, you know, they got the scientific explanation for what it is. But although you can explain it that way, yes, but it's, it's much more than that. It's God's promise. Now, of course, remember, before the flood, it didn't rain. There, there was no such thing as rain before the time of the flood. And what happened at the time of the flood was the, the fountains of the great deep breaking up and, and bursting up through the crust of the earth and, you know, the waters that were above the firmament, this vast water canopy, or somebody explained it as a, a basically an ocean in the sky. 
There was an ocean in the sky prior to the flood. And when the flood came, that great deluge, part of it was the ocean in the sky being poured out upon the earth. And it was that ocean in the sky, so to speak, that explains the worldwide balanced tropical climate. You know, remember as we were reading about those mammoths? Now, these were not normally the kinds of creatures that you would expect to find in those kinds of regions, at least as we know them today. And the vegetation that they found in their digestive tracts was tropical vegetation. The indication was the world, as we've heard before, the, the entire planet was a, the environment was tropical beforehand. But then, of course, the flood came and the rains came. And then after the flood, then the cycles that we know today began. And so there would be rain, but there would always be the rainbow to remind us of the promise. And so the rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. Now these three were the sons of Noah, and from these, listen, the whole earth was populated. So remember what the one theologian said? The flood had nothing to do with the, with the people in America or Africa or China. He's wrong. Everybody was destroyed. There probably was, you know, because there wasn't, probably wasn't a continental thing like we have today. There wasn't America, Africa, and China as we know it. But it was from these three that the whole earth was populated. You say, well, come on now, how could that be? From, from just those three, the whole earth was populated? Well, remember where we started? We started with just two people. The whole earth was populated from them. You know, and it's interesting that some geneticists have, you know, in their research, they have actually come out and stated that they can trace every person back to one couple, back to one woman. Of course, we're not that surprised, are we? We know that's the case. But it was from these three that the whole earth would then again be repopulated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk, and he became uncovered in his tent. Now here's a, a sad moment in Noah's life. He was a righteous man. He was obviously a godly man, but evidently at a given time after he had been through all of this, you know, some say that his drunkenness was due to the fact that with all of the, you know, climate change and everything else, he didn't realize that he would have become drunk. I, I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't tell us all the details about how it happened. It just tells us that it happened. And obviously, it wasn't a good thing. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son 
had done to him. And then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. There's a bit of mystery about exactly what happened. It seems on the surface that what simply happened is that Ham was disrespectful to his father. Of course, in these days, it was understood. It was a patriarchal society. And the father, of you know, of course, was the head of the family. And the utmost respect was due to the father as the head of the family. And, and what it seems like is stated here in the text that Ham was disrespectful to his father. That Noah, in this drunken state, that he became uncovered and Ham was making fun of that, that he was mocking that. And uh, Shem and Japheth came and, and did the proper thing. That seems like what was happening. But then Noah, when he awakes, he pronounces a curse upon Canaan. Now, Canaan is the descendant of Ham. So cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. May Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth. And may he dwell in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. So I will just simply tell you, I really do not know why the judgment passed to Canaan. This is one of those mysterious things. And out of all the commentaries I've ever read, I've never come to a satisfactory answer. The Canaanites, of course, would be the descendants of Canaan. They would be the ones that would inhabit that land that Israel would eventually come in and possess. But moving away from that, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. So remember some time ago, we talked about what Genesis is and what it isn't. It is not a thorough world history or anything like that. It is the history of redemption. And so as we pointed out, what Genesis is going to do, and and even more specifically now, is to begin really closely to follow the redemptive line, the line through whom the seed of the woman will eventually come that will be the deliverer that will crush the head of the serpent. And so what we see here is the promises now being narrowed down. It's not going to Ham and it's not going to Japheth, but it's going to Shem. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. You've heard the term Semite or a common term we we often hear today is anti-Semite or anti-Semitism. Sem is another word for Shem, speaking of the descendants of Shem. And so it's through Shem now that the promises are going to be fulfilled and we're going to begin to follow the line of Shem and the most notable person that we'll come to initially will be Abraham. And then Shem will sort of fade out and Abraham will become the dominant figure right on down as we follow the history all the way through David and then ultimately down to Jesus. And so blessed be the Lord God of Shem. And then Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died.
October, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Progress, Kindness, and Equality by Glenn Scrivener. Do you recoil at the ancient practice of slavery in the Bible? Do you value modern-day freedom and equality? Do you abhor the mistreatment of minorities by some in the Christian church? If you answered yes to just one of these questions, or even all of them, then chances are you have unknowingly inherited the biblical notions of redemption, freedom, equality, and compassion. In his book, The Air We Breathe, Glenn Scrivener argues that Christianity has been infused into Western culture so thoroughly that its values are simply taken for granted, and their Christian origins have gone unnoticed. No matter what you believe regarding the existence of God, this book will help you understand some of the values you cherish most. The book, The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress, and Equality by Glenn Scrivener is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.